0: Right, we are, the subject for today is betrayal and denial. So we're in Luke 22. We're going to look at the first six verses and then jump over to verse 47 through to 62. So we are looking at two characters effectively. We're looking at Judas and Peter. It's remarkable to think that these two were two of the twelve of the twelve disciples that the Lord had chosen, were about to read about two of them one who betrayed him and one who denied him I think we sometimes uh, maybe, or I certainly do fall into the the trap if you like, of thinking about these two people as being um, well Judas being particularly evil and Peter being very very weak but. We need to, I think, uh, appreciate that they're no different from us in many respects, and that we need to be looking at this as a people who are a sinful people, a people who are born in sin, and although we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and although you have been chosen, we have been called and we are trying to respond um, to the call of God in our service, Satan never gives up, and he's ever active and Many of us, well, we all fail. <laughs> Many of us fall. <coughs> and when we look at this, it's sometimes in Peter's case, we should be looking at it as a way, well, let's understand how he got back up again. In Judas's case, let's look at it with a view to making sure that uh, we never, ever find ourselves in his position. So let's just read... Um, this portion together so it's uh, Luke 22 and verse 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas called Iscariot one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. So over to verse 47. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come to him, Am I leading a rebellion, that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour, when darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, but when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there and in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with them, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the cock crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Let's deal with the the Judas case first. It's interesting that when we read the beginning of chapter 22, that it's the betrayal of Judas that we've just read about is tied in with the Passover. Um, they had come together to remember the Passover, and it's a bit of an irony, really, that there amongst them was the Lamb of God. And of course, as you know, the Passover that uh, they kept uh, an annual basis uh, ever since they had uh, left Egypt, they had um, been taught the importance of the understanding of the Passover lamb and the purpose of it, it was a shadow of what was going to happen and here amongst them was the the lamb of God, the person of Christ and which of course the Passover lamb was a a picture of and whilst they were to go through as instructed by God through Moses um, uh, the ritual of Uh, obtaining a a lamb or a kid and killing it and cooking it and eating it with bitter herbs and with uh, unleavened bread and for all the the teaching (coughs) that was in this here he was gathering with his disciples to to remember this important uh, historical event that was pointing to him and here he is standing in their midst and Judas is thinking about betraying him. It just seemed uh, very hard when, when we sit down and we read and we in uh, the scriptures with the understanding that we have, we think immediately, how could he do that? How could Judas do that and even do it then? What was going on in his head? What was he thinking? When we, I, I imagine, when they got together for the Passover, I think they would have every year recounted the story. They would have gone through the, each aspect of what went on, of how the head of the house would go out and find this lamb or this kid uh, it had to be a year old, and it had to be without blemish. I don't know whether you've actually seen a, a year old lamb. Sometimes you, again, you go back to your Sunday school pictures and you see the picture of the Passover lamb and it's, it's a tiny, <laughs> a year old lamb is enormous. Um, I remember one speaking at Scottish camp about this and I asked the farmer there to get me a year old lamb and he brought in with a whacking big sheep and, <laughs> and we, we hardly control it we had to got a rope round it and it was stronger than me and you, you're thinking well is that lamb well of course I mean apparently uh, they keep growing for five years but the first year's growth is the fastest and so a year old lamb which is uh, almost, I would say it was about five-sixths the, the size of a full-grown sheep in, in size. It was uh, very big, so I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> this um, the story about going out and, and choosing this lamb, and then they bringing it into the house, and then they would have it in the house for four days. This again was a, a, a picture of what was happening here in the upper room, was that amongst them was one that they knew, was one that they loved, was one that had been teaching and caring for them. And of course, you see the similarity in the Passover, that the lamb came into the house, it was taken from the field, it was brought into the house, it became a pet for a few days. And if anybody's had a pet, you get very attached to it, And uh, you laugh with it, you feed it, and all the rest of it, and then you kill it. Yeah, I think. Um, one of the things that I going back to this Scottish camp uh, situation. I remember I had a knife in my hand, and I was trying to sort of wind up the kids a bit by saying, "Right, I'm going to cut its throat now." And of course, they were all big-eyed, and but I was bringing out the point. I don't. I don't think I could do that. <laughs> um, you know, unless I was very hungry, maybe I would do it. But but the the idea of this lamb, which, the the fact, the one that we had had been in the tents. It it was a pet. It had been mingling in the camp for all week. And so everybody knew it and loved it and such like and got very friendly with it. So the idea of killing it was was quite horrific. And that was how the feeling of... uh, I imagine in the household, especially um, with the, the 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 firstborn, who would have fully understood and been taught that this lamb has to die for you, so that you don't die. But the actual killing of it must have been quite horrific. The reason I'm just mentioning this is, of course, is is trying to understand Judas when he's in. This environment where the Lamb of God is in the middle, and he is going to be instrumental in killing him. I don't know whether Judas fully appreciated what was going to happen. Um, There's some commentaries you'll read about the thinking, well, maybe he just was trying to motivate Jesus into acting against the Romans in some way, and uh, and, and he was getting a bit fed up with the, the lack of action. Maybe so. I but the probably the important thing here that we need to be maybe learn from is the thought that it says that Satan entered Judas. And that's scary. That is really frightening to think that you, he had got himself into such a condition which was allowing himself to be not only a target for Satan, but to be indwelt by Satan, so that almost his actions after that almost were no longer his own. He'd given himself over. Just in thinking about that, you know, for, for our own uh, benefit and understanding it, you think, is there any danger that that could happen to us? Is there any danger that Satan could indwell me? And I could end up almost being out of control... The answer I I would give was I believe not because I'm fortunate that I have the Holy Spirit within me because I'm a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus. And therefore, I don't believe Satan can indwell someone who has the Holy Spirit within them. That's my understanding and belief. But that doesn't mean that Satan can't still control. We'll come to Peter in a minute where maybe there was more of the the control outward control rather than the inward control satan had obviously sorry judas had obviously decided he'd had enough he'd had three years um of following jesus of listening to his teaching and he rejected it and he was deciding that he was going to betray him and so it's an irony in a way But to Judas what was more important was money and I think it's just something that we need to be very careful of in our lives. Covetousness is one of the easiest sins for us to fall foul of and Judas was obviously (laughs) he was a money man, he looked after the finances and the Lord knew fine well he was dipping his hand into it. I don't imagine there was great wealth there but he had the opportunity and he saw it that this man who was hated and reviled by the authorities that he had a chance here to make some money and he went for it. When... You then come to the, the, the second part of what we read, that Judas appears in a crowd coming to Jesus, and he's already arranged to give Jesus a kiss. And the Lord knows it. The Lord knew all of these things. He predicted it beforehand. He, in the upper room, he had told him that one of them was going to betray him. And when they asked who it was, he he spelt it out. And he said, well, the person who dips his morsel into the the wine with me is the person that's going to do it. And it was Judas that did it. And when he said to Judas, go and do it, do it quickly. Get on with it, in other words. I don't know whether the other disciples realised that. It didn't seem as if they did. So whether it had happened privately and they weren't watching or because they were still asking, is it me, is it me? They didn't seem to know and they didn't seem to notice when Judas went out. So when we get this situation where Judas coming, he's obviously arranged, this is the opportune time, in case there's any doubt about who it is, I'll go up and kiss him. And the Lord sees him coming and says to him, well, are you going to kiss me? Are you going to betray me with a kiss there was nothing of course and it's the same with all of our lives there's nothing that isn't evident to God all our deviousness, our sin that we think we've covered up we think that we've kept private it's open to the Lord of course I don't know how Judas felt when the Lord said that whether he was so hard whether satan was had full control of them then it didn't matter but then this battle uh, went on after that which the lord stopped immediately healed the man who'd hear, his ear had been cut off and then uh, said to him you know what are you doing they have been with you all the time why are you coming with your swords and staves but then he went on and finished there by saying this is your time. Is it, it, again it just gives me a great sense of the trust in God that he had control of this. That it looks like a situation that's out of control. It looks like from our, through our eyes you've got somebody who's betraying him, you've got all the strength uh, and the power <coughs> to take him, and they were, got up, they were setting up false witnesses. Um, he had no chance. This is all in the hands of God. And this he was handing it over and he said, "I know what you're going to do. Go on with it. This is your hour. This is an hour of darkness. This is what you want to do. Go on with it, but There's always the overruling hand of God in it all. This was what God had planned. This was all in his will. And despite it looking out of control, despite it looking as if the Lord is weak physically and he's got no chance, he can't escape, and he's going to be crucified, it was all meant. So it's interesting just to dwell on that a little bit and think this is the hour of darkness, that Satan, even although he is so much more knowledgeable than we are, and his understanding of the the power and the greatness of God is way in excess of ours, here he's still nibbling away. (laughs) He's doing everything he can to thwart the power of God. And even when God turns it over to him and says, Right, there, you've got it. This is the time of darkness, get on with it. Do your worst. It was still God's plan, which is remarkable and gives you a nice feeling inside that really, when things are going wrong and when we feel this world is out of control, and surely we um, people like Trump and, and Johnson and all these people that seem to be uh, the rulers that we've got and we're scratching our heads thinking where are they taking us? You'd have know, that peace to think this is all in the hand of God and whatever happens will be God's will and therefore we should be at peace about it. Maybe this is our hour of darkness, <laughs> who knows? I mean it's um Thing, something that we just we leave to him. Mm-hmm. When Peter had been um, uh, doing what only Peter does best, is uh, promoting himself and and saying that he was one of the greatest amongst them. When they were having this argument after Judas had gone about who was the greatest amongst them and uh, the Lord had said to Peter you know the cock before the cock crows you're gonna deny me three times and Peter just couldn't believe it he thought it was absolutely astounded that there's no way he would do that I think it's um it's part of the Lord's suffering when two of the twelve um, act the way he did that um, I don't we, we don't know much about the other ten as to what they did we know a little bit about John going to the cross but the others were not too sure they got a fright and, and were scattered uh, although they came came back afterwards of course but when the Lord was going into his suffering and in the Garden of Gethsemane and contemplating what was going to happen to him how we we thought this morning about him becoming sin and bearing our punishment going into a a, a place of um, only be described as horror and going into death going into banishment And contemplating that, but also on top of that is thinking that his friends had rejected him. And you wonder how deep did that go? How much contribution to the sweat that poured from his body in the Garden of Gethsemane, like drops of blood, was caused by Judas and Peter? But then you think, how much of it was caused by me? We think, are we any? Really, are we really <coughs> prepared to set ourselves up as better than these men? Maybe we would say, well, with Judas, I would like to think, uh, because I don't believe I would allow Satan to indwell me. And as I said before, because we have the Holy Spirit within us, I don't believe it's possible. So to get to that point, you now, what about Peter? Would we not stand up and say, I would never deny the Lord? Would we if somebody asked us and said, would, would you deny the Lord? He'd say, of course not. And Peter was one of the strongest ones. He was one of the three that constantly got picked out by the Lord to do and see special things, special teachings, special um, illustrations, special visions. He was a strong one. He seemed to be the leader. He was the one that's out, most outspoken. And he's the one that again Satan attacks. Satan's asked to have you, that you might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. And when you return, strengthen your brethren. These are things that we need to learn from because we are not above that you think about peter going into that situation where he's following the lord going to the high priest's house and it's cold and he mingles with those making a fire and he gets caught somebody says, hey you're with him and he denied no 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 now why did he do that well the logical thing is well he was frightened (laughs) um he did, he was scared that maybe um if he owned up he would be dragged in with the lord and be, be punished along with the lord whatever he thought then that was going to happen to the lord so in his fear is that what, why he said what he did and then of course once you've done it once you can't it's harder the second time when he's, he's called account so he said it again and then we read elsewhere even with cursing and swearing he said I don't know this man and then you move on to repentance because he meets the eyes of the Lord I think you know the the teaching in this of course I'm sure you've given it a lot of thought yourself in in, in the past about meeting the eyes of the lord jesus but it's i think it's important that we try and understand why peter did what he did and also just being critical ourselves of our own lives and how easy it is and is it any different than some of when some of us keep quiet when we should speak up when people are saying things against the lord and we decide I don't I'm outnumbered here I don't want to get uh, involved in this I'll keep my mouth shut Is that any different or just removing yourself from a situation rather than <coughs> speaking up The things like that that you know I wonder when you look at Peter's situation and you think it well it wasn't really that serious these people who were gathered around that fire i don't think they were people of authority they weren't people that were real a real danger to peter but it was a low level fear if you like but he still succumbed and we all do and sometimes it's easy just to drift away or to, to say no or just to make give the impression that you are not a follower of Jesus, because it just create an argument and uh bow out. Just' leave that one with you for your own meditation and thought, because uh I speak for myself, and there's certainly been many times when I could have spoken up and I didn't, and maybe you're the same, and maybe we should give more thought to that as to if, as a follower of Lord the Lord Jesus. Were we not called upon in situations like that to stand up for him? The the crucial bit at the end, of course, of this was that um, Peter had disregarded the warnings. The Lord Jesus had given him a warning only a few hours ago that he was going to do this, and he disregarded it. There's another, there's another lesson here for us as we study the word of God as we listen to the Lord speaking to us through his word there are so many times we can disregard it we need to be more active if you like in taking on board what God is saying to us and it, looking back in this and it, with the benefit of hindsight and the benefit of being able to sit down with the Bible and read it and saying, well, what Peter should have done is been listened to what the Lord said and thought, well, I better make sure that doesn't happen. And, or even gone to the Lord and said, look, I, don't, I can't do this. I don't want to do that. Help me so that I don't fail. You know, these are, <clears throat> I know we can look around and say, well, if the, it, it was all in the will of the Lord that this happened, of course. But you you see what I'm trying to say in the the need to learn from what God says, from what the Lord tells us. The warnings are in the scriptures. There are warnings (coughs) there about Satan attacking us, about our being careful about how we (coughs) regard Satan. If you take 1 Peter 5 and 8, it says of Satan, he's like a roaring lion looking on whom he may devour. And that was written to Christians. That's not non-Christians. That's people with the Holy Spirit within them. And Satan is still going around and he's looking whom he may devour. And he's devouring many, many Christians. And we have got... To, that's the warning that's coming from the Word of God. That we have got to be... Uh, responsive to and be alert to because the power of God is greater than the power of Satan so if we see the dangers then we need to be able to have the confidence to come to the Lord and ask for his strength and his help so that we can overcome these situations that happen to us every day and they're going to happen to us again until the Lord comes because we live in that environment Uh, and what is it that the Lord requires of me Peter had made a previous promise he made a vow he said that even if all those around me were to fail I wouldn't and what happened? He failed within hours. Again, it's a, be very careful what you vow. Be very careful in your in your confidence that your confidence, my confidence, has to be in the Lord, not in our own strength. Don't think that this would never happen to me. I'm too spiritual. I'm too knowledgeable. I'm too good a Christian. Uh, this would not happen to me. If it happens, it could happen to Peter. It can certainly happen to you and me. And be careful that we're not um, putting ourselves on a, a, a pedestal where we can be knocked on, knocked over. The fact that it was a very short time span is also quite sobering. Um, We often think about people who are strong in the Lord and then they drift away and that takes a long time. And then maybe they fail years and years later because they've drifted away. You've got a situation where Peter seems to be very strong. He's been with the Lord, he's been listening to him, he's been seeing him every day for three years and he seems to be strong and Satan comes in and he falls. Never. complacent when it comes to the power of satan we constantly day by day need the help of the lord when the when peter recalled it says that he remembered as you read in the um you know in the chapter two and three of revelation when the lord assessed the seven churches in Asia, there's quite a number of them, four of them, I think, where he actually uses the word remember where you've come from, remember where you've fallen, remember uh, you've lost your first love. Uh, it was important that we remember, that we remember what we read, that we remember when the Lord spoke to us, we remember where we once were, <laughs> if we've fallen remembering is important and Peter as part of his um, repentance was first of all looking in the eyes of the Lord and then secondly remembering what the Lord had said to him and it says that he then reacted by running away and weeping bitterly and that was the correct response to what he'd done I think you know sometimes we get people who they sin and they get caught in their sin and their reaction to it is oh well sorry uh, never mind let's go on with it you know the Lord forgives and uh, off they go and you're left with this feeling is that genuine repentance repentance But when you you can tell, and often we get called upon to do this, uh, to look at genuine repentance and make a judgment on it, and it's important that you see it, and of course you see it here in Peter, is you meet the eyes of the Lord, and then you remember what he'd said to you, and also thinking about where he was going and what he was going to do. And then what's your response? It's not a shrug and poor sinful me. It was a case of brokenness. I think uh, even in our our Christian lives, there's a need for us to experience brokenness. Um, Times when you realize that you've been an absolute idiot, that you've fallen a long way and you look into the eyes of the Lord and you realise I've let that man down and you start weeping that's genuine repentance and that's where then the Lord can pick you up and use you if it's not genuine it's never going to work Judas was sorry Judas was sorry when, he, when Satan left him and then he realised the mess he'd caused and he went out and hung himself. That was not the reaction of somebody who was genuinely repentant. That was somebody who packed it in given up. So there's the two men I think we can learn a lot from and from Peter you know, when we go on to read about um, the, uh, how Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, how Peter gave himself over to, as a follower of the Lord Jesus, uh, the things that he wrote in his letters, um, he became a great man. <laughs> and this experience was something that was important and necessary for him in order to be of use to the Lord. Paul's another one, a different character, a different uh, setup. He had to be taken off his horse. He had to be blinded. He had to hear the voice of the Lord saying, Why are you persecuting me? He had to realize that before it was genuine repentance. And there the Lord could pick him up and use them. So there's two men there that were able to go on for the Lord and became great men but they went very low and um, we should learn from that.